Hey, Sarah. Yes, Josh? Are you ready? I think so. Great. But before we start, we here at the Puppet Pod, along with Dixon Place, stand with love in solidarity with Black, Indigenous, and persons of color in our communities and across the country against racism, white supremacy, and police brutality. And for more information and specifics on our respective anti-racism statements and plans of action, please visit DixonPlace.org and ShakeOnTheLake.org to find out how we're listening, learning, and working within our communities. Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Hi, my name's Tom Lee, and I think puppetry is not as easy as it looks. Puppetry is hard because what I think puppetry is, and what most of the world thinks puppetry is, are often diametrically opposed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode one of The Puppet Pod. I am so excited to start this adventure with my co-host, the boss to my Springsteen, Ms. Sarah Stabley. Sarah, what's up? Hi, not much. How's it going? Uh, it's going well, all things considered. I mean, you know, the world's falling apart, but other than that, I am personally doing okay and um, excited to start this new audio adventure, The Puppet Pod, with our, our very first guest today. Me too. This human, this puppet artist, he himself is a incredible puppeteer and uh, was a former teacher of mine and am lucky enough to be able to call him my pal and so thrilled that he's here to kind of inaugurate The Puppet Pod. Tom Lee is our, our first guest today and uh, I first met Tom when I was at grad school at Sarah Lawrence in 20. 13, he was away my first year working on a puppet show on Broadway or a Broadway show with puppets called War Horse. And he was one of the puppeteers in that show and uh, was on sabbatical. And he came back my second year. And I always remember talking with Tom because I had kind of started doing a lot of puppetry work my first year at school. And Dan Herlin, of course, who is a huge figure in the puppet world and inspired so many of us to kind of get into the field. He mentioned to Tom, you know, the work that I was doing and said, you know, you should maybe talk to Josh. He might be interested in working with you. So I was very excited to meet with Tom, to talk with him. And he said, hey, I'm working on this new show called Shanks Mare. And maybe one day, you know, we'll be able to go to Japan with this show. And that, in fact, happened twice. Uh, we got to go meet puppet master, Koryu Nishikawa V of the Karts puppet form called Kuramaningyo. I got to study and train and work with him in developing the show. We got to go visit the Bunraku National Theater. And when we were there, we got to work with like the best wig maker for puppets in the world because that's a job and exists. Wow. Uh, we also got to just visit their shop and see all of the heads. Some of them are like 200 years old. And it was just an incredibly informative experience, you know, in addition to learning all the things about Japan and Japanese culture, that was just incredible to me, but also about this puppetry form. And then also Koryu-san's form, this cart puppet form, which is a one-person form, whereas the Bunraku style is more of a three-person form. So we did that and then went back, made the show, did it in New York, and then got to tour it to Japan at the Ida Puppet Festival and perform it in Sensei's hometown in Hachioji. So I would have never thought in meeting Tom Lee that all of these things would happen, let alone getting a good pal, but uh, excited that he was willing to come talk to us today. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Tom Lee, welcome to the Puppet Pod. Hey, it's good to be here, Josh. Nice to be here. Uh, I, I just have to say it's super amazing to have you as our very first guest on the Puppet Pod. And I guess uh, I'm just interested in how you're keeping your time in this current world that we're living in. Wow. Well, it's, you know, it's a crazy time. It is a crazy time. It's so mediated, you know, just even talking to you through this Zoom, looking at your face right now. Um, I don't know how many Zooms we all have done in this this past, uh, you know, two months or so. It's it's a really strange uh, place to be just as a person in this world, in our time. And then, of course, you know, as a performer, as somebody whose, you know, work depends on being in the same room with people, uh, relating to other people, kind of feeding off the energy that's right there. So, yeah, 
I've gone through cycles of like depression and like, no, this is a great pause, which I need in my life. And oh my God, what the hell are we going to do? <laughs> I've been through it all. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose, I guess I would say what I am doing. Number one is just trying to stay safe, trying to keep the family safe. And also, since most of my work is now disappeared, I'm really trying to support my wife who has a, a kind of main, you know, uh, breadwinning job of our family and also be a teacher to my my kids which is a crazy and wild experience <laughs> that's an incredible thing to hear it's such a wild demand of all of our time and, and change of all of our kind of direction that we're kind of being forced upon us at this particular moment right but one thing that i saw that you created for the chicago puppet festival as a video was you and your kids working on like a, a toy shadow puppet theater and i just wondered if maybe you could talk a little bit about that process and how you're you know making the best of situations like this well yeah that that was a pretty crazy video and i guess um I guess that's the other thing about the COVID-19 situation is I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop making puppets, even if I'm just stuck at home. So um, the whole thing was that my wife, my, it was my wife's birthday. And as part of like this whole, like I'm at home teaching my twins. And because we're in quarantine with the neighbor upstairs who happens to be in their same class, I'm teaching three kids. I was like, <laughs> um, okay, let's turn the class into a puppetry class <laughs> and what better way to um kind of uh, have them be my my minions than make this puppet theater <laughs> and to tell you the truth also it was also of course a gift for for lisa but it was also really liberating for me just to kind of see what lumber i had around see the like recycling materials i had and just bust it out so that's what we did. And in fact, I've always wanted to make kind of a little intimate shadow puppet theater like that, just tabletop style. And sometimes if you look at like uh, pictures of the great German filmmaker Lottie Reininger, you'll see her when she used to do her shadow shows, just a lamp and like shadow puppets on the table. And that was kind of the inspiration for that. So um, the kids came up with the story. You know, it was, of course, they each had animal characters. Uh, there was a snake a fox and a dog. Um, <laughs> there was a volcano involved. And as a result... You gotta have a volcano. You gotta have a volcano, you know? And of course, if there's a volcano, just like if there's a gun in a play, the volcano needs to explode, which it did. Exactly right. That's very Chekhov. Yep. yep. <laughs> anyway, suffice it to say, it was, it was awesome. Lisa was just so pleased. And the way we presented it was actually uh, in one of the first like family zooms that we did with our with our family all across the country with her family and and you know my family so and that was a trip too because you know when you first do a zoom with your family like there's all the squares and everybody's talking at once and like people are like how do i mute myself oh i can't talk and you know the grandparents are like on three different devices trying to connect just ridiculous <laughs> Which is also amazing because I think, you know, as you and I both know, and, and maybe a lot of people, I, certainly who know puppetry know this, but for those that don't, puppetry is primarily a visual medium. And, and we're trying to um, talk about it in a primarily audio-driven medium here on this podcast. Right, right. So uh, I guess I'm curious to know uh, a little bit about how you might describe puppetry to somebody who maybe is unfamiliar or this is someone listening to a puppetry podcast for the first time who has never really seen like a puppet show, particularly a uh, contemporary adult puppet show. What is the form, Tom? What is puppetry? Wow. It's, I mean, it's a huge question and it's a huge field. You know, it's so it's an incredibly diverse field. And how you explain it to people is is kind of the rub because that's that's where people already have some like you know preconceptions about what this form is because of what they've seen because of what is commercially out there as puppetry amazing right. as that as some of that stuff is yeah. and awful as some of a lot of it is too but um you know if i was going to describe it if i was going to try to get deep into it or describe what puppetry is or what i do to somebody who had not the kind of reference that I do. I would just ask them, like, um, when you were a kid, did you play with dolls? You know, or if you didn't play with dolls, did you play with trucks? Yeah. 
right? Or did you play with GI Joes? Did you play with, did you play with anything? Yeah. <laughs> if they didn't, there might be a problem. But <laughs> obviously, most young people, children, play and they embody the things they play with with a life outside themselves. You know, it's a natural human. Thing, to have your truck racing to the the fire in the corner of your you know playroom or to have you know your dollies like um discussing current events over two, right right a know? pandemic response so, even right yeah you know so um and, and that that capacity of human beings to kind of project uh, a kind of life onto an animate object that that's existed it existed you know when you and i were children and it existed thousands of millennia ago you know or a, a millennia ago it's actually an essential part of how of how people relate to their outside world we embody things in our world with 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 feelings you know and and that's really why i think puppetry is so impactful as a form it's not to get too like loosey goosey here, but it's oh, get loosey, the... Tom, get loosey. Oh, okay, well here it goes because it's <laughs> such a primal form, you know. It's like it's like raw. It's like direct, right to the core of human beings in the way that we evolved, like looking at natural phenomena and like imbuing it with life. You know, the clouds are dark and angry. The sun is giving us life, you know, and then how humans all over the world began to put those same qualities into things they would make first figures or statuettes and and eventually you know throughout the entire world where, wherever you look in all cultures masks you know puppets sculpture all of those things are a way for us to understand ourselves by creating objects and then puppetry is kind of the the next like level level up from there because then you're not only you know um making a, a a representation of what you are you know externally but you're filling it with life and and these are where where the great puppet traditions of the world you know sprang from and it still works it still dalga works because you know you can't um you can't deny that power people want to believe. And when they see something that does something which they recognize, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That that he's sad. He's sad. Yeah. You know, or, yeah. You know, so anyway, that's where I'd start off. I'd first start off by, do you play with toys? Well, then listen, you know what puppetry is already, right? <laughs> I like how forceful you are in your approach to getting people to understand that. Yeah. yeah. He gets this, right? Um <laughs> In the way that you describe that too, it, and and I've heard other people say this, and I also kind of believe this too, that puppetry is also kind of like one of the last bits of like magic, maybe like that exists yeah. in the world in the way that we're imbuing these things with life. And if we can get people to believe for a second that they are alive or breathing or doing the things that we're trying to imbue in them or the energy we're putting into them, that can be like a really powerful thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, totally. It is, you know, it is magic. It is surprising. And even in our humongously technologically advanced world right now, where we can, you can watch a movie, you can see anything you want in it, right? Happen. The entire world blows up or whatever. With with, with live puppetry, there's still that thing that hits you where you're like, it's, it, once again, it's like a gut response. It's like a, an innate response to seeing something that is alive and um I, I would say though it doesn't work for everybody it's kind of like clowns because like some people are like clowns i hate them <laughs> you know some people are like puppets hate them it's too weird their yeah. eyes are dead you know it's yeah. too real yeah you know you know so there's there's a whole spectrum of people's approach to the figures and also i would say the reverse is true josh because there's also other people I've said this before that like a puppet will walk on stage instantly. These people are crying, right? Doesn't right. <laughs> right. They needed that. They just needed right. that right. in that moment. Right. 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 I, I would say most of the people who are watching shows are kind of in the middle. You know, they're, they're not at these two extremes, but if the puppetry is strong, if, if, if all these crazy elements that have to come to make something like that work happen, you can really take people someplace else. Cause it's, it's beyond what happens with an actor where you're suspending your your disbelief as amazing as all actors are because it's just you know it's just the object there making it making it happen so anyway 
Well, uh, speaking of acting, you started off as an actor, isn't that right? You went to Carnegie Mellon and yeah. uh, kind of went through actor training. That's right. So how did, uh, because I, I also was an actor before I started doing puppetry. And one of the things that I loved about it was I feel like it made me a better actor because when I became secondary and the object became primary, I knew more about subtlety and ways to channel things, maybe one through the object that had to be done that way because as puppeteers were often made to be neutral, we don't really want to take the focus over the small, tiny thing in front of us. Right. And I feel like I was able to translate that to certain acting styles after I started doing puppetry that I thought were really helpful. Yeah. And I'm curious for you, you started in puppetry or as an, sorry, you got into puppetry, but prior you were an actor. So like, what does that journey look like for you? And how did you kind of transition from being more of a bigger performer to being more drawn into the small world? Well, um, I guess, I mean, you're totally right, because that's, when I was a kid, I was like, you know, doing all the, the musicals, and I was, you know, singing my little heart out on stage, and, you know. Any um, particular musicals <laughs> oh, God. that were, like, favorites? <laughs> well, I mean, I did, I did Pippin, and I was in Fiddler in the Roof, and um, The Wiz, and just all these, you know, just your your usual theatrical, like, affair of yeah. the high school uh, kid. But one thing that happened to me is, and this didn't really present itself as being such a momentous event until all these years later when I'm sitting here talking to you, is because in when I was about 15 or 16, I got invited to this summer drama program on the big island of Hawaii in, in a town called Hilo. And, you know, we did a play and we did all this other stuff. But one of the things we did was a bunraku style puppet show of um, this Japanese folktale called Momotaro the Peach Boy. And I was the left arm. And this experience, it was awesome at the time, but I never, ever thought about pursuing it. Because, like, who who becomes a puppeteer? I mean, is that even a job? Like, you know, it's just not... Right, and yeah, and at 15, right. you're like, what? what do you even... What is this? Yeah. Um, can you also... Maybe take a quick moment for people that don't know what Bunraku style puppetry is. Can you explain like a quick like breakdown of the three person style and the puppet? Totally. So the, you know, Bunraku style comes from comes from Japan. It's um, a 300 year old form in which there's um, figures operated by three puppeteers. And they use three puppeteers because it gives some of the most realistic, amazing human movement you could find. And basically, there's a head puppeteer operating the head and right arm, uh, a left-hand puppeteer operating the left arm, and then a, um, a person in a very painful position doing the feet. And all these three people are completely connected through this figure. And um, it's produced a, a whole repertoire of kind of work, which is, you know, on par in terms of its cultural significance with, with Shakespeare, you know, for the Western world. And it's, of course, super, like, influential on Western puppeteers because anybody sees that style, they're like, how brilliant is this that three can become one? So it's been used in so many, so many different ways. But anyway, yeah, so at, at 15, to have that experience, to actually jump into that process was pretty amazing, you know, and, um, but still pretty weird because nobody thinks like, oh yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to run with this. Bunraku, I'm going to run with it at 15. You know, it's, it's just, it just didn't appear. And yeah, it doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> and, and to your question, I mean, all of my, my energy was, was devoted to being an actor. So I, I got into Carnegie Mellon. I went there. I had an amazing training there. It was really quite incredible, but I will say that I was sort of a weird actor because <laughs> I was, well, a couple different things. First of all, I was a little shy. I still am a little shy. But also, I was just as interested in what was happening like backstage with the sets and how people had designed things and the way like the kind of visual aspects of a show came together as I was with performing. I mean, I loved performing. But Every moment that I was in college, I was still trying to take a figure drawing class here. And I, I took a class in like stop motion animation and made my own crazy film about aliens landing at the Washington Monument. That and, sounds amazing. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so it was just kind of my like just personality. I always like to build things, you know, but I, I did not realize that there could be another path for a performer 
outside of, of acting. In fact, Josh, I was pretty like conservative in terms of how I thought an actor career, an actor's career could be. Cause I thought like, okay, I'm going to be trained as an actor. I'm going to be able to inhabit these roles. You know, I'm going to take the words of the playwright. I'm going to go into an audition. You know, I'm going to embody that character. I'm going to get cast in that role. And then I'm going to go do work. And I didn't, I, it never occurred to me that there was maybe other ways that artists find their way, especially at, at a young age. Even though I had awesome teachers, I never thought about, well, I'm going to write my own monologue or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess I had to at some point, but I kind of saw the acting world as a process, a one-way street kind of in which I was going to be, I was going to get my agent and I was going to go through it and I was going to become maybe part of a company and that would be exciting. But, and that's where puppetry when I got to New York, that's where puppetry like really hit me because I saw, holy crap, you can really, you can really make your own work in this form in a way that is so total, you know? Yeah, yeah, the total making aspect of it. Yeah, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Tom Lee. The Puppet Pod is produced in collaboration with Dixon Place, whose virtual programs are free and participating artists are remunerated. That's right, artists getting paid to do what they do even during a pandemic. Donations help us bring together visionary artists and adventurous audiences and support the community during this challenging time. So if you like what you are listening to in the Puppet Pod, please consider making a gift to dixonplace.org. Dixon Place's puppetry programs, including Puppet Block, Mine by Sheena Stripe, and New Money by Maria Camilla, are made possible in part with generous support from the Jim Henson Foundation and donors like you. Thank you. The Puppet Pod. So, Tom, what were some of those first things that you saw when you came to New York that you um, you described as total making? What were some of those first shows or influences? Wow. Well, um, there was a lot. I think the biggest thing that happened was I, I really only knew about two theaters in New York when I first came there. One was the public theater and the other one was La Mama. And um, because I was fairly good with my hands, I, I got a job at La Mama as a carpenter and stagehand and I think most of it was carrying heavy things from place to place however I began to see some awesome stuff because I began to see like puppet work you know and I think the the pieces that first saw in terms of puppetry that really like blew my mind were the was the work of Theodore Skipateris and she's um you know a New York-based sculptor and and puppet maker and her work was just so intense in terms of the themes it was tackling. Of course, there was a lot of like Greek themes in her work, but also just like women in prison or like kind of the way that optics um, of the eye allowed us to the development of modern like perspective in art. You know, it's like crazy like stuff, like not the typical things you think. Puppetry. And that's really where it happened, Josh, I have to say, in terms of puppetry, because it was Theodora who came up to me when I was working on some of her puppets at La Mama. And she was like, Tom, you know, you're pretty good at this. Have you ever thought about making your own stuff? And I was like, what? My own stuff? What's that? <laughs> and she, <laughs> Okay, it wasn't exactly like that. But I really had no idea what she was going to... what you know, make my own stuff. Like, Yeah, what I did was, you mean? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, because I was still in the, like, I'm going to go audition and get my, get the part. And that's how I'm going to fill my stuff in this role. You know, she was a really, really important early trigger into realizing that there were other paths. And then, of course, as I'm sure is is, is with you, meeting Dan Herlin was another one. Mm-hmm. And um, because through Dan and Theodora, I, I got involved with the St. Anne's Puppet Lab and I made my first piece. And, and then Dan hired me to do my first professional puppet show ever. And from that moment, the, the die was cast, man. There was no going back. I mean, I sometimes called my agent, but more and more I was just like, dude, I got puppet work. <laughs> I got things to make. I got very tiny things to make. (laughs) Plus, I also met like a lot of really interesting people. And just because the community, as you know, in New York is so small and crazy. And there's just so many interesting folks who are coming from so many different weird places. And 
they just felt they felt like my people. They, I felt much more at home than if I was in an audition and I saw other actors that I went to school with. I don't know. I was always so shy and like I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I just felt more comfortable with the weirdos. Yeah, um, yeah. I resonate <laughs> with that, Tom. I resonate with that. <laughs> but it, it was really that, and then beginning to seek out stuff, beginning to look at other people's work and and see what's out there, see the work of Basil, and see, of course, I, I, I really, at that point, honed back in on that experience back in Hawaii. And that was really the impetus for me to begin this whole chapter of my life about just digging into Asian puppetry, especially Japanese puppetry, and figuring out what that was all about. I think it's, um, the, the path is never straight for any artist, right? I, I was just, I feel really lucky that I, I, that I, I don't know, I bumbled my way into like a situation where I would... I would be exposed to things that were off the beaten track and that were different and that were pushing the envelope. And it's not to say everything that I saw at La Mama was like brilliant. There were some things that are just crazy experiments. Like, why did you put that on stage? I don't know. You know, <laughs> but at the same time, it was just so cool to see folks working with puppetry in such a different way. And once again, in our country, the U.S., we don't have this homegrown tradition. We're picking a bit of, of everything that's out there. So there's, it's, it's hard in, in our country to identify a place where you might be able to be exposed to something even in a traditional way that you could kind of latch onto. And at the same time, I would say also having studied a lot of traditional puppetry, there's a freedom that we have as, as Western performers that is not bound or constrained by having to, to stick within a particular form. Yeah. You know, so and I think that's that's really what I saw in in New York a lot. There's a lot of experimentation and people just doing like crazy stuff. Well, there's there's something that you said that's really interesting. Like people aren't bound by a particular form and it goes back to that idea of total making that you talked about. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. um again for people that aren't familiar with puppetry, like what do you mean by that idea? Like puppetry is total making, which I 100% agree with you. And the fact that it isn't really bound by one form, like puppetry is not just puppetry. It's so many other types of art forms. So I just wonder if you could like right. tell us a little bit about what you mean by that total making idea. Well, one of the things is that, first of all, the, just the scale of the work means that you as a maker of puppet theater are in control of kind of the entire universe of design tools that would, would fit into making a piece for human-sized actors, right? When you're making a piece of puppetry, you're, you, you have, you're working at a scale in which you control everything, the, the set, the, the lighting, the sound environment, the style of how the puppets are made. There's almost like an omnipotent quality in that, like, designer god thing, Yeah, right? totally, totally. And that, you know, my first piece that I did at St. Anne's Warehouse was this, like, Greek adapt or this adaptation of Homer's Iliad. It was crazy. It was, like, way too much. I mean, it was amazing, but it was crazy. <laughs> I wanted to put a whole army on stage and i could because they were only this tall and tom is making a gesture with his fingers right now that are making sure that they're like an inch tall <laughs> but but this is also just like in terms of just a, an artist kind of creating a piece to be able to influence that many aspects of the kind of visual and, and audio nature of, of the piece that you know that is possible in yeah. puppetry without having to be like Robert Wilson from the beginning, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> so that's what I kind of mean by, by total theater. And then again, like you said, puppetry doesn't only mean like hand puppets or, or figures even moving across, you know? I mean, some of the work that I saw, like Basil Twist's Symphony Fantastique, which is a puppet show that appears completely in a aquarium where all the puppets are fabric moving through this amazing watery environment to uh, the sound of Berlioz's music, stuff like that. I was just like, whoa, it really hit me. I couldn't identify like a character in a piece like that, but I was moved emotionally. I was taken away by it, by both the spectacle and by the rhythmic changing of, of the visuals, you know? Yeah, it's a very interesting form. And it, it's also a form because we in, in America are without like a kind of one indigenous form. It's one that attracts so many interesting personalities, which because of the form, you can't possibly separate those personalities from the work created, yeah. you know? So it, 
the other thing I like to say about puppetry is like the ultimate outsider art form because it's like just crazy stuff will come out, you know, and, and just not just crazy, but just so rooted to your kind of personal way of seeing things. You know? Why do you think puppetry suits that outsider sensibility? Well, I think because um, because it's if you really look at it, it's so open ended. If you're if you're not stuck in kind of a confined way of thinking about what a puppet is, then there are many ways that people are experimenting with movement and storytelling that kind of fit into puppetry, uh, even just telling stories with pictures, you know, or telling stories with objects. And I, I don't know necessarily why it feels so much like an outsider art form, except that I think that it is a place where a less rigid, there, there just aren't the same kind of rules that exist, you know, in other forms. Um, and other, particularly other performance forms involving actors. And so it attracts people who I think are interested in in exploring like kind of other ways of storytelling. And that's really kind of the interesting thing also about, I think, the community that develops around that. Because there are, I've met so many folks that are coming from strange backgrounds. They're not trained puppeteers. They're coming from our friend Mike Chin, coming from a history background, yeah. you know, or they're musicians or they're dancers or, and they're coming into this form because it offers some possibilities beyond the ordinary. Yeah. I, and I wonder too, if part of that is a lot of the puppetry that we do in, in many different of the world histories of it or uh, traditions of it is it's nonverbal. Yeah. And maybe because it leaves it open to interpretation, maybe that's something that draws people to not necessarily being bound by um, words or something that's literal as language, perhaps. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good analysis of it too. I would say there's a lot of puppetry out there that is super text-based, even like traditional puppetry, but um, definitely in my own aesthetic, I'm really attracted to the kind of universality of the puppet figure, you know, the way that uh, an audience can perceive what's happening with the puppet, even if they don't necessarily speak the language. And that's also a thing I would say that that was part of the ethos of La Mama when I was mm. at La Mama. The first, you know, La Mama was all about world theater and bringing a lot of different performance forms um, together. And so one of Ellen Stewart's like big things was getting productions that you could enjoy and understand and empathize with, even if you didn't speak that particular language. Yeah. So, you know, this is not to say that commercial puppetry isn't interesting either. Correct. Like I was raised, I was raised on like Kermit the Frog. And yeah. The, Muppet Show uh, is my jam. The Muppets. Yeah. I mean, yeah, totally. yeah. I love this. Fraggle Rock. I mean, come yeah. on. It's just that the once again the as you get into it more and you begin to to see what is out there and what puppetry can be, you just see that the field is so so diverse, so wide, and I am always super excited by seeing like stuff that folks are coming up with um, using this form. It's just remarkably innovative, yeah, and at the same time anciently archetypal. You know? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I want to ask a little bit about your work, Tom, because we talk about this idea that puppetry is a mixture of visual art, but also theater, but also dance. And, you know, perhaps you could even say architecture in some way, shape or form. I mean, there's just so many things that en encapsulate what puppetry can be. And in your work, particularly, you're really interested in a lot of how um, cinematic techniques can be applied to some of the puppet world. And I'm just curious if maybe you can talk a little bit about what draws you toward using more of these 3D figures and then also how we can transpose those figures in front of maybe more 2D backgrounds that we're also seeing be made on stage and translated through kind of cinema techniques. Totally. First of all, when, when I did that first piece back at St. Anne's, the Iliad adaptation, once again, one of the, of course, the visual sources for it were all these Greek vase paintings, you know, which is gorgeous, gorgeous, like figures. And when you look at them, they just look like amazing silhouettes, like on the sides of pottery, you know, produced by the artisans. And they lended themselves so perfectly, not only to puppet manipulation, I thought, but also to, um, to animation. So even in that first show, I was experimenting in my really rudimentary way, like never trained in animation at all, but with making like animations, you know, that that could also help fill um, the kind of visual world that was happening. And that just has always stuck with me, the palette of the puppet theater being so large, right? So in my work, yeah, yeah, I've, I, I just have 
continue to experiment with ways that both the physical figure and digitally mediated figures can be related in somehow. And, and what you're describing is one of the, the most basic things that I, I try to do is, is um, you know, make miniature sets and then have the live puppets on stage, but have them traveling through this gorgeously realized set, uh, which is projected via a camera. It's just, um, it's just been kind of a, I don't know, just kind of just the aesthetic that I've kind of developed over, over working um, all these years. And I would say it's also influenced by seeing some really, really important work to me, especially by this Dutch company called Hotel Modern, mm, yeah. which, um, and seeing their work for the first time was the first time I had seen, um, you know, cameras with figures on stage used in such an amazing way and using the camera as like a, a second eye for the audience that allows us to to be right next to the small tiny figure which we can't see from 30 feet away that was the piece comp uh one of their like really well-known pieces yeah comp is is um is one of their most well-known and terrifying and hard piece to watch because it concerns the holocaust and concerns like a, a replica of the death camp at auschwitz which is built for that performance um, very, very hard to piece to watch. But also the first one actually I saw of theirs was The Great War, which mm. was about the First World War, but just showed the experience through little finger puppets of boots, like walking through mud and barbed wire and and at the same time paired with text and, and letters um, from the First World War. So their work was really, really influential on me when I first saw it. I was like, holy crap, that's awesome. You know, and I, I just love those double events too that are happening because it's yeah. not like just a, I'm going to do a video projection of this awesome thing. That That's cool. But this is this is live. You know, it's happening here. So that, that puppetry is live quality in the, through a digital interface is always so, so interesting. And, and you have to let the audience know that it's live. Right. Lest they be confused and be like, oh yeah, cool movie. But the second they're like, whoa, no way. You guys are doing that live, but that's so hard. That's the point, dudes. It's hard because it's puppetry. I love that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I love that, Tom. Um, uh, there are so many things I want to now ask you about, but one of which being, you know, you described that, that piece, Kampf, but also even the World War One piece, puppetry... I think for some reason, there's something about the form that allows us to tackle these really complex and really difficult subjects or like subject matter. And why why do you think that yeah. the form lends itself to be able to approach these things in a way that maybe a human actor has a much more difficult time doing? It's it's just hard, I think, in pieces that, that address stuff which is so big, a human actor we, we know the deal. We know they're an actor at some point. We know that they are on stage. We've kind of bought into the agreement that they are on stage and they're portraying this role, but they are not going to really die if they die, right? They are not going to really feel pain, although they might feel pain depending on how, it, how it's done. The artifice of a show in which we are supposed to suspend our belief like that is, is evident. And, and, you know, I can enjoy shows like that. I enjoy shows like that all the time. But when you when you hit something like that is so like momentous, and this is like uh, the Kampf piece, you know, how could you even imagine the scale of like this kind of mechanized death system that the Nazis created? Well, if you know when you walk into that theater and you see uh, this this whole set of Auschwitz, it it already just blows your mind because you're like that is real for me. Uh, as real as if I was going to actually be able to visit a place or yeah. speak to a survivor. It's just visceral, you know. And and then again, because the puppet is something which we are in the best moments projecting our emotions on, I just feel it's easier for us to do that, to see these especially difficult subjects through that cipher or that filter. I'm not saying it always works or that, oh, you want to do a show about a difficult subject? Yeah. Do it with puppets. Yeah, it's right. that. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's always hard to approach a difficult subject, whether you're using actors or puppets. But I do feel that really interesting artists have been able to use the form of puppetry to kind of make um, statements about stuff that happens in our world, giving us like a more bird's eye view of this event. Right. And also, then again, on, on the kind of macro level, if a puppet dies on stage, it really dies, like because it's dead to begin with, you know, or just if you've seen it animated all this time, it, it just 
it just that is a huge impact. You know, in Warhorse, one of the biggest moments that where everybody is bawling is when this uh, great black stallion Topthorn dies on stage, and then the three puppeteers within him extract themselves, come out with a breath, look at the pu- puppet, and then leave. And it's like such a clear representation of the absence of life. Yeah, or a life force even, right? Yes, right. I, I think that's why there's they, you can tell a really interesting story with puppetry. It's not easy. It's hard. You know, it's it's really hard. We keep on saying puppetry is so hard. There are some easy things you can do though, but <laughs> but um, it's just to to approach that kind of emotional content. You know, in our history of human beings filled with such beauty and love and also terribly, terribly such pain and heartache, it's just a powerful, powerful way to kind of get into that. And I I think, Josh, too, it doesn't only apply to like sad subjects, because the thing about puppets is they can be so damn funny. Yeah, yeah. And body and and just totally inappropriate Mm -hmm. and get away with it. I mean, they've done that for for generations as well. Puppets were the way in which people could you know, mock the, the kings and queens and rulers. Or the church. And, and, or the church and get away with it, yeah, you know? Yeah. Once again, it has a kind of duality. It's so able to kind of shapeshift into that, so. Awesome. Uh, well, why don't we shapeshift to another little break here and uh, we'll come back with a little bit more of Tom Lee. <laughs> This episode of the Puppet Pod is brought to you by Butter Meat Co., a company and shop started by dairy farmers who realize the importance of delicious beef that happens to be environmentally friendly. Butter Meat Co. produces local organic beef from cows who have lived their lives to the absolute fullest. Butter Meat Cows produce over 80,000 pounds of milk, cheese, butter, and beef. That's a lot of dairy. And beef. That's a lot more than the mere 600 pounds of meat from a regular beef cow. And through their thoughtful and unique supply chain, Butter Meat Co. provides an elevated culinary experience. That's right. It's so elevated that you say culinary instead of culinary. And it's like nothing you've ever tasted before. Owner Jill Gould is an exceptional human being because she's looking to bring exceptional products to our exceptional community. But not just our community in Western New York. No. Jill can ship anywhere in the Northeast. And if you're not a meat eater, Jill carries lots of other products like local cheeses, eggs, coffee, amazing spices, milks, and fresh soaps and oils. She does almost everything that you could think of in your amazing kitchen that you would want. So if you want more information, please go visit buttermeatco.com or check her out on social media at buttermeatco. The Puppet Tom, so this is a quote made famous by our our friend Dan Herlin, who mutually has kind of gotten us inspired in our our puppet quest, so to speak. And he always kind of phrased things in this way. Puppetry is hard. (laughs) And I wonder, like, what... What does that mean to you or what can you like tell people that don't do puppetry or maybe who even do? What makes puppetry hard? Well, first of all, it's a a classic Dan Herlin truism. And it's, it is actually very true because once again, for most of the people who are out there who've never made a puppet show before, like there's a kind of sense that what we're doing is basically grown men and women playing with dolls, right? <laughs> and that part of that is true. But there's kind of this baked in frivolity to it, right? That it's frivolous, yeah. right? Yes, yeah. And, um, and, and some of it is really frivolous, but it's also complicated. I think this is what Dan is getting at. It's complicated to do it well, to really push it, you know, to really yeah. get the work so that it's it's not just interesting because I've got a figure on, but it's interesting because it's alive and breathing and moving and so many elements are coming together, you know, at once. And um, yeah, and he's absolutely right. It's hard. It's hard because usually when you're working with human actors, right, when you're in rehearsal, their feet don't fall off. Right. Or <laughs> I mean, usually. Right. Usually. Uh, 
<laughs> Usually when you're rehearsing with actors, like you don't have to stop and go, wait a second, we need to cut a hole in this wall so we can get them to move from here to there, you know? And that's why I'm saying like, you know, it's it's like being in a technical rehearsal constantly. It's not just the object, it's it's how you move it. And I think this is important for people to, to hear too. Like, you know, making a puppet is only, gosh, maybe like a third of the entire process of right. making a puppet show. Even making a puppet, that is only the, the part where you have an object you can work with, but then you have to make that puppet alive. Right, yeah, and then people will like move it and then they'll tell you that it's not doing the things that you're asking <laughs> these puppeteers to make it do. Exactly, and so it's, um, it's a situation where just the, the, the time frame of the work is so much more elongated and where sometimes you don't discover what the puppet can do during the building or design process you discover it when it's in the hands of really really talented folks who can help you find out what that's going to be like and once again i think this is one thing that i uh, just to mention dan's name again this is one thing i learned from him is that having a process which is open like that which allows you to discover where you're going is a really valuable thing for any artist but especially for a puppet artist, because it gives you some time to kind of figure out what is going to emerge. And this isn't to say that, that you know, we're starting our products like, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm just going to be a puppet and start. It's not that. Like Dan's pieces are so like cleanly envisioned from the very beginning in terms of the design and the storyboarding and whatnot. But all of it is to say that this performing art really lives in the hands of performers. And that's where you really get at the meat of it, right? And really see if it's going to work. It's not easy. Of course, things break all the time. And there's always like the crazy story. I remember like one of these stories. I was with Dan on um, Hiroshima Maiden. I was, it was my first professional show as a young puppeteer. And I was with these um, lot of old hands who had done this for a long time, much longer than I was. And I remember in the middle of performance, a foot comes off the puppet. Foot comes off the puppet. And me already, I'm like, ah, foot off the puppet. What do we do? <laughs> I come off stage. I'm like, guys, the foot, it came off the puppet. And everybody else is like, yeah, so what? Go get some safe. You know, <laughs> they were like, yeah, just calm down. Live theater, live puppet show. Things are going to break. And as I became more aware that that was the environment in which, you know, in which working with puppets exists, I became much more kind of laid back about it and also realized that the true test for the performer when those terrible things happen is to make it look like it was totally supposed to be like that the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, when when the puppet snaps in half at the waist <laughs> and you're holding it together just to get it off stage. It was supposed to do that. Exactly, exactly. So That's that's amazing. That's amazing, Tom. Well, I I'm curious uh you named a couple of pieces that you've already been a part of, but I'm curious for you like what are some of the favorite shows you have been a part of as a puppeteer and then well i'll ask the ones that you've done as like a, a lead maker but as a puppeteer what were some of the things that were like really exciting or fun to do and and why well well i would say the first one for sure was just farmer and that was a piece with dan Herlin. and that piece was just so fascinating to me because the way that it moved uh, just spatially and with the figure was um, it was like like all of his pieces like a dance and the company was so strong so tight it was like the second like major show that I had done in my life when I worked on it with Dan it just felt like we got to a place with that piece where we were all in the zone where everything we had rehearsed with for so long kind of really really could flow and that that flow and that finesse was just there and uh, without feeling like over rehearsed and feeling alive in the same moment. So I think that's certainly one of those. War Horse is just an example of that as well, just because of the, the power of those figures that Hans been created and kind of the emotional impact um, and the physicality, physical impact on my body. <laughs> It was one of the hardest shows that I ever had to do, but also, um, you know, to see people once again get so emotional over something which is just fabric and wire and cane and aluminum to weep over these horses as if they were alive. It was a really, really profound thing. And I, I felt so honored too to, 
to be inside the horses and also feel like all the hands that made those horses. You know, they're all handmade, like just to feel the, the fingers and hands that wrapped the material around me as if they were holding me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Another one I would just throw out to there, and once again, these are rather big shows too, but, um, but is Butterfly, is Madama Butterfly at the Met. And I think the reason why this show is, is such a joy to me for, to perform is because I've done it for so long. And you almost never get to do a puppet show for, for that long. 13 years I've been with that show. So I feel like I've reached this place, or at least we have reached a place as a puppet team where we can really, really feel each other. And where, um, where this thing happens with the puppetry of the boy in that show where um, it's not us moving him, but it's just him going. And we are along for the ride. And once again, that's what I mean about being being kind of in the zone, in this place of of, of pure movement and um, purely in the moment, you know, and just and just riding with it. There's something about that idea of being in the moment that I really, as a person that kind of started my theater training as an improviser, mm -hmm. where you know that's the form, right? You're there, you're listening, and you're you're ready for the moment. What I appreciated when uh, I first started working with you was, here's the choreography. Here's what I want you to achieve from A to B in the scene, but how you fill it in the middle as a puppeteer with this object. And if you discover something new, you gave us that freedom. Yeah. And and to me, like that was one of the things that I, I really loved because, yeah, choreography, I think, is amazing and beautiful and, you know, is such a good way to create the map. But you still left room for us for discovery. Right. And, and that is something that I always thought really connected with improv and that idea of really being present in an art form. Right. You know, when I was at Carnegie Mellon, we had this amazing rhythm teacher she was a Peruvian woman named Victoria Santa Cruz. And one of the things she would always say to us, which kind of relates to this idea of being in the moment, was she, she would say to us, kid, when we think we, it is a piece of cake, pow, then we are eaten. And what she was saying is that if you don't stay in the moment, if you are like jumping forward to the next thing, if you're not there as a performer experiencing that thing for the first time, you're you're done for, you know. And yeah. she would, <laughs> she was so scary to me, but I love her because she implanted that in my brain. You know, that's of course there's choreography and puppetry. There's got to be right. We got to know what the map is. Yeah. But if it becomes so mechanical that we just execute like steps three through thirty-seven then where is the life? And that is really um, kind of why I think it, it's important to be able to, to allow yourself and to allow others who you're working with to really find it for real, not just execute it perfectly according to plan. And even, you know, even dancers who execute it perfectly, choreography perfectly according to plan, they also are filling that with something. That's the thing. You just can't ever take it for granted. You can't ever take it for granted that Puppet, these puppets are going to be magic and everybody's going to love them. Every moment you got to work for it. That's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> what are you working on now, Tom? I know that there are a couple of projects that you um, have started working on and then they've been put on pause a little bit. <laughs> and then, of course, there is a project that you've been working on that just keeps having more life and more life and more life. So just kind of curious what you have going on that uh, is exciting you and if there's even other things that uh, we don't know about yet. Sure. Well, one thing, you know, it is, yeah, it's a difficult time for everybody. And of course, you know, as an artist, once again, I always feel really lucky to, to have the work that I have, especially when in this day and age, when people are out there on the front lines, you know, facing this pandemic in such a, such a brave and selfless way. You know, it's hard to kind of imagine, oh my gosh, oh, poor me, you know, when, when we're in this place right. together. At the same time, I do think that is important time to keep on making 
and to realize that what we have to do as artists is the human uh, potential of what we give to the world as artists and how that can lift folks up. And as hard as it is for everyone, that's that's something that I think drives me. And so I can't sit still, you know. <laughs> of course, I'm working on um, uh, a new piece with, with Koryo Nishikawa, who's uh, my longtime collaborator and teacher, who you and I worked with on, on Shanks Mare. And, and that piece is based on famous Japanese uh, short story writer. And the origin of this piece was really kind of the impetus of it was really uh, Koryu-san gave me an amazing opportunity many years ago to be part of a piece that, that I thought up. And, um, and with this piece, I really wanted to return the favor in a way to see what really this traditional artist was interested in and try to just go in all with it from his end rather than dragging him along on the crazy project I had found. And so that project is called Octagawa, even though it's been postponed now until uh, next June, we're still working on and is slowly, slowly coming together remotely. But here in Chicago, one of the exciting things um, that I'm involved with is, you know, I lived in New York for almost 20 years and I've been now in Chicago for almost four years. Uh, with uh, my partner, Blair Thomas, we've started the Chicago Puppet Studio. So even in the midst of um, the pandemic, we are still trying to produce work as a studio, including a commission for the uh, Chicago Botanic Gardens, which is called a silhouette carousel. And this is a kind of shadow puppetry moving carousel that would be an outdoor installation in their garden beginning in November. Of course, depending on the situation involving like social distancing and crowds and everything, the, the layout and how this will be done will have to be examined, but it's still just a wonderful kind of sculptural puppetry installation project. With Chicago Puppet Studio, we've also been asked to begin working on a, on a puppet film in collaboration with My Yi Theater of, of New York. This is a really interesting thing for our team to, to work on. And we're going to try and work on it in a socially distanced way that can be filmed, but it won't be like invisible puppeteers, but a film in which the puppets and puppeteers are equally visible. And it kind of harkens back to the idea of the theater's mission that we don't want to just make a film because we can't make theater anymore. We want to record the theatricality of performance uh, in the moment in a story that is told by puppets. So um, yeah, those are two things. And yeah, and then Shanks Mare, I think is probably the, the last thing, which just keeps on going, just won't die. Thank God. Did you ever think you would make a show that would last this long, Tom? <laughs> never, never. And it's, you know, it's, we, we started it in 2014 and it's, you know, six years later, it's we just we went to Paris in December. You know, I mean, I don't know where, I know where it's going to be next. It's going to be at the New York State Puppet Festival, which is going to be amazing. But that has been awesome to see, to see a piece done by people I love. Uh, that's such a joy to perform, kind of have that life. So, yeah, I will keep doing it as long as folks want to, want to, want to see it. So those are a few of the things that I'm doing. And, um, yeah. Just a couple <laughs> things. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, Tom, I, I want to see if we can end this by just asking you a couple of rapid fire questions. Sure. So like top of mind, wh whatever comes off, just give it to us. Okay. This is definitely from your improv training. I can tell. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. So first thing, what is your favorite thing about uh, where you come from? Hawaii? Um, uh, shave ice. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> what is uh, your email? Tealy668. At Gmail, what does that stand for? Well, 668 is the neighbor of the beast because 666 is the number of the beast. But right next door is 668. That's where I live. <laughs> Amazing. Um, when you introduce yourself to people and, and what you do, how do you self-identify? Um, first of all, I... I, I I always call myself by my full name, like or like people always call me by my full name, like Tom Lee. I mean, I guess I introduce myself as Tom, but people are like, "Hey, it's Tom Lee, Tom Lee, Tom Lee, Tom Lee, Tom Lee." It's like Tom Lee is like one thing, and um, I guess I I don't know. I I try to hide the fact that I'm a puppeteer sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard to introduce yourself as hi, I'm Tom Lee. I'm a puppeteer. And then people are like, huh. Okay, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. What histories or stories interest you? Oh, things about families, things about responsibility, things about caring for others. I know this kind of sounds like dumb, but those are some of the strongest things I think that happen a lot in my work. I think it's from being a dad. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, what are some of your favorite puppet forms? Uh, puppet forms, of course, the Kudamaningyo form that I've studied, the cart puppetry form. Shadow puppetry is something that I, I love to do. I love the simplicity and, and style of it. I love marionettes, but I'm scared of them and I want to do more. <laughs> Almost everything. Um, yeah. Not a big hand puppet fan, though. Weird. Yeah. Weird. And uh, one last one. If you, uh, your beard, your really beautiful quarantine beard that you have right now, if it had a name, what would you name it? Oh, Josh, it already has a name. This is Beard Papa. That's right. That's right. I'm going to just come close to the to the mic so you can hear Beard, Co- beard Papa roar. I don't know if you can hear that. But I'm rubbing. Oh, there it is. That is audio gold, Tom. Sorry. I just audio gold. <laughs> Tom, I just want to thank you for spending your your evening with us for for chatting with us about puppetry. You, I think more than anybody has really kind of shaped my my path, my uh, sensibility as a as a puppet artist. I think you opened up a world to me that I would have never experienced before i remember you coming back to where i first met you at sarah lawrence when i was a student there and introducing me to this cart puppet form kermaningyu and you said one day maybe this crazy show that i'm gonna ask you to work on is gonna go to japan and lo and behold (laughs) it did and uh then some we've been all over with this show and just given me countless opportunities as a professional artist and i just can't thank you enough for that and the fact that you are our guest number one just again means the world tom so i just can't thank you enough for all the things that you've done for me as a professional but also as just a pal i'm just proud as hell to be able to call you my friend hey it's my pleasure josh it's it's just awesome like uh, spending an hour talking with you and this is amazing uh podcast i can't wait to hear who else you have on and um, hopefully um, they will be a little bit more interesting than me. <laughs> oh, Tom, I don't know, man. Uh, Beard Papa is pretty good. <laughs> anyway, no, I appreciate it, Josh. Um, we just got to keep uh, keep pushing forward in this time as hard as it is. You know, just yeah, take care of each other. Keep making art. Don't stop. I know you'll do that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Thanks, Tom. I, I, it heartens me to know that you are out there doing it the, the same way. And, you know, I appreciate your time. So thanks, Thank man. The Puppet Pod, hosted by Josh Rice and me, Sarah Stabley. Produced and engineered by also me, Sarah Stabley. Theme song and incidental music by Seth Fargolzia and additional music by Hazar and Scott Holmes. Executive produced by Dixon Place and the New York State Puppet Festival, a program of Shake on the Lake and Josh Rice Projects. Support is provided by Dixon Place, the Jim Henson Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Arts Council for Wyoming County Community Arts Grant, a regrant program of the New York State Council on the Arts. To make donations, please visit shakeonthelake.org or dixonplace.org. For more information about the artists featured on our podcast, please visit www.thepuppetpod.com. Oh, 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 oh,